Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill, and while I took 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. Well, with 20 minutes on the clock, we pick up where we left off last time, one of the most well-known stories in the whole Bible. The book of First Samuel tells us the story of David and Goliath. Uh, of course, David, future king of Israel, he's a young man in his teen years, and he's come to the camp of the army of Israel. See, the, their, their enemies, the Philistines, had initiated battle against the people of Israel. And they were each camped on two different sides of this valley. And the Philistines had a giant of a man named Goliath. And you can go back to last week's episode to hear a discussion about whether Goliath was really as tall as the Bible says he was or not. But every day this giant would come out and say, who will face me? Who will fight me? And if I win, then Israel is defeated. But if you win, then the Philistines are defeated. And the idea was, we, we have a champion. You send out your champion. We don't need the whole army to fight. We'll just decide it this way. And for over 40 days, the people of Israel cowered in fear. And then David shows up and he says, what are you guys doing? We're the people of God. What? Why isn't somebody going out? And the king who should have gone out hears about this young man who's speaking words of boldness, and he goes and he gets him, and he says, you can't go, you're too young. And David says, no, I've, uh, first of all, if God is with me, it won't matter. But second of all, it's not like I've never faced danger before as a shepherd. I have faced the lion and the bear, and I have, I have been delivered from their jaws by the hand of God multiple times. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And so Saul then tries to fit David with his own armor, the best, the, the, the sturdiest, but it doesn't fit David. He can't fight in the armor of someone else. And so he says, this doesn't work for me. So it says that he gets his uh, sling and his bag, and he heads off towards where Goliath is. Excuse me. And we pick up here uh, in verse 40 where it says, Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his pouch in a shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand and approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, that's Goliath, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, growing with, glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he says, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. So, for 40 days, Goliath has stood and challenged the people of God. And after 40 days of nothing, all that they send is a young teen who's barely out of his childhood And he doesn't have a weapon other than a stick. And maybe Goliath can see the sling in his hand, but he's got nothing. There's no sword. There's no spear. By the way, the world sees us that way. The the world outside of the kingdom of heaven looks and sees the foolishness of what they perceive to be the foolishness of the people of God. You have no weapon. 
You have no spear. You're not as prestigious as we are. You're not as powerful as we are. And here comes David. And David said to the Philistine, verse 45, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day Yahweh will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And all those who gather here will know that it is not by sword nor spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him, and reaching into his bag, he took the stone, and he slung it, and he struck the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Then David ran and stood over him, and he took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath, and after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Now that's interesting. The Bible claims that without uh, spear or sword, David defeated the Philistine. Yet he still had to go over and he had to get Goliath's sword and kill him and then cut off his head. Now that means that he took Goliath's own sword, stabbed him, and then cut off his head to show that he was dead. So he used a sword. There are Christians who are against any use of anything that they perceive to be as worldly or unholy or whatever. It's interesting to me that there is no instrument mentioned in the scripture that does not have a pagan origin. There's no instrument mentioned in the scripture that is specifically developed by the people of God. And yet these instruments are used for the praise and the glory of God. We can look and we can say, hey, you know what? Uh, that group over there has a pretty good organizational system. Why don't we use that organizational system to better accomplish the mission that God has given us? We, we can use the wisdom of the world at times, the, the hard-learned lessons, but we don't live by them. We don't have faith in them. I'm not saved by my organizational system. We will not accomplish the work God has for us uh, by, by using the, the tools of the world around us, we accomplish the work by the power of God. But we're not opposed to using things that are necessary either. I think you can, you can live in these weird extremes. There are some Christians who act like functionally secular. Like we're just going to organize the church along business principles. And, and the church is really run like a secular organization. I hope that's never the case here. And yet there are other Christians who seem bent on, on just ignoring anything that's wise. Uh, I was on staff at a church, and our staff meetings were at the end of day on Friday. So what that meant is when we met as a staff to plan out what was going to happen, then we left the office and we had our days off. And so then we'd come back on Monday, and there was no momentum from any of those meetings. And so I said, hey, why don't we try doing our meetings on Monday like or Tuesday? We show up. We get things settled in, and then the first day of the week, we get together and we meet. And I was like, what? And, and any sort of talk about, like, how can, we, how can we better work as a team? And could we all have, um, you know, this, could we all use Gmail so that we could use Google calendars? Like, anything like that, it was just crazy talk. Um, and that's just silly. At the same time, 
you know, you can have all the best run systems and organizations in the world and, and just be totally impotent by the, by the total lack of the power of God. David had his victory because God was with him. Saul had his defeat because he defied God and trusted in his own strength. Not Saul, excuse me. Although Saul was, had a defeat here as well, but, but I mean Goliath. Now, David ran and stood over him, and he took hold of the Philistine sword. He drew it from his sheath. He killed him and cut off his own head. And the Philistines saw that their hero was dead. They turned and they ran. The men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. These are Philistine cities. Their dead were strewn along the Shaharim road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites turned around from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. And David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem and put the Philistines' weapon in his own tent. And as Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? And Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. And the king said, find out whose son this young man is. Now remember, David had been serving in Saul's court as a musician. But Saul had so little regard for somebody he probably perceived to be lesser than him that he never thought, and like, I'll pay attention to who this guy is. And then when David goes out to battle, it's like, who, who are you? You've met him before. No, I'm sure I haven't. You know, we, we just look down on, on people that we don't perceive to be equal to ourselves and not realize, hey, maybe God's going to use that person. Hey, maybe God has a plan for them. Hey, may, maybe I shouldn't look on myself as greater than I ought, you know. And uh, so they're trying to figure out who this guy is. And so as David returned from the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, and David was uh, still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. And David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. Verse 1, chapter 18, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and loved him as much as he loved himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to the house of his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his own bow and his belt. And whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased the troops and Saul's officers as well. And when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet Saul singing and dancing with joyful songs and timbers and lyres. And they danced and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and the refrain displeased him greatly. They credited David with ten thousands, he thought, but me only with thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time, Saul kept a close eye on David. So Saul's paranoid. The kingdom, he's already been told the kingdom has been taken away from him. The prophet Samuel has told Saul this is the outcome. So now he's looking for people who might be the one that God's going to replace him with. And he's out to get anybody that, that causes a threat to him. And you see this played out in the lives of people. That, that we should rejoice in the victories of others, we should rejoice in the blessings that other people experience in their lives. And instead, we look and we have scorn and suspicion and paranoia or whatever. Saul could have gone out to face Goliath. Saul could have lived life surrendered to God. Saul could have stood and done what he was supposed to do as the king. And yet when someone else does it, he sits there and just 
fumes and plots. Now, Jonathan and David. One of the things that you will hear brought up from uh, progressive Christians, uh, people who are not Christians but part of the LGBTQ plus community, is this idea that Jonathan and David were uh, lovers and that this is veiled references to a uh, homosexual relationship that these two had. I have two thoughts about this idea. The first is, so what? And I mean it. So what? The Bible is sometimes prescriptive, meaning you should do this thing or you should not do this thing, and the Bible is sometimes descriptive. This is what happened. It wasn't good or it wasn't bad, but it was just what happened. Sometimes the Bible's descriptive, sometimes the Bible is prescriptive. The Bible is also full of the story of sinful people. The Bible tells the story of people who rebel against God, who do whatever they want to do, and then it tells the story of God intervening in human history through the person of Jesus Christ. And it tells the story of how the bridge between sinful and rebellious people was, was crossed by the work that Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection from the dead three days later. So, here's David. David was a murderer. Later on, spoiler alert, he kills a guy. He, he murders a man named Uriah. And the reason that he murders Uriah is because he is covering up. Because while Uriah was out at the battle that David was supposed to be at, David slept with Uriah's wife and she got pregnant. And so he's trying to cover it up. And when he can't cover it up, he says, fine, I'll just kill Uriah and I'll take his wife for my own. David was already married. So in addition to being an adulterer, in addition to being a murderer, he was a bigamist. He had more than one wife, which he was not supposed to do. That was not okay. And yet he did. So here's a guy who's a murderer and who is an adulterer and a bigamist and all sorts of other things. And yet, people act like if he was also bisexual, that that would somehow approve of that action. Or that would somehow be this, oh, we got you now. I believe humanity is broken. All people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I believe that God created humanity in, in part as sexual creatures. Sexuality is part of humanity. And that God created human sexuality within the context of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. That if you're married, if at all possible, sexual relationship should be a vital component of your marriage. But that being said, like I said, human beings are broken. And, and we don't do the things that God has designed us for. We rebel against it. And there are people who, who have lived in, in sexual relationships outside of the covenant of marriage. There are people who live in sexual relationships outside of the male and female dynamic. There are people who say, well, I'm just whatever I am. How do we deal with that? Well, there's no, there's no questioning what God has said. And if we want to change that, what we are doing is we are saying we want to change 
what God has said and make it palatable, make it palatable, make it align with our um, modern situation. Now, how we interact with all of these situations is tricky. It's difficult. And more so because we have just had a cultural shift in the last several decades so that we don't, we're still learning how do we deal. Like if you're a Christian, you know, in the first century, you're the first Christians and you have uh, temple prostitutes and you have um, homosexual relationships are common. People act like, you know, the Bible was written in this like, you know, uh, really prudish, uh, Victorian era kind of s- situation, but the Bible was written in a time when when homosexuality was was common across the Roman Empire. It was it was expected if you were a Roman or a, a, you know in, in Greek culture, it was it was expected that you'd have your wife, and then you'd have your girl on the side, and then if you wanted to have a boy on the side, you, that was okay too. There there was they actually didn't view humans as as you know just binary their their sexuality was even the way that we um view like there's straight people and there's gay people they 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 were a lot more fluid in their understanding of human sexuality so to think that that the word of god was written in a prudish or a victorian or a, a a backwards time would be incorrect in some ways the uh the romans and the greeks would have seen us as backwards uh, even in the way that that um that we deal with things and so here is this concept of what happens if Jonathan and David are, are in some kind of homosexual relationship. It doesn't change anything. That we see people who are imperfect, who are broken, who are sinful, who are doing things that God has said they are not supposed to do, and yet God is working amongst imperfect and, imperfect and broken and sinful people. Now, I also think that the idea that they were in some sort of, of relationship, um, it's questionable, the assertion. And here's why. Because what we're doing is we are taking modern concepts and um, idealizing them or, or projecting them onto ancient writing and ancient cultural norms. For example, I remember uh, um, seeing this picture of the president... This was uh, George W. Bush. President Bush holding hands with a high official from Saudi Arabia. And this was, you know, the war on terror was going on. We were trying to build allies in the Middle East. I'm not trying to get into that whole thing, but I just remember seeing that and going, what's going on? And realizing, oh, in Arab culture, two men could hold hands and walk down a a street together. um, And it is not a homosexual thing. It is a a sign of friendship or or, um, trust. That, that it's not, uh, it apparently has no, you know, no homosexual connotation, um, but that, that it's a thing that, you know, we would see in our culture as being, oh, that's weird. But in their culture, they wouldn't. So we could project something and say, oh, they're obviously, you know, gay for each other or whatever. And maybe we're projecting something onto our culture that wouldn't exist in theirs. Also, and this is not good, but in their culture, how did they view women? Not much better than property sometimes in ancient cultures. And so uh, what if, 
you know, when, when he says, you know, Jonathan, there's a verse later where, where David says, Jonathan, you know, he's mourning for Jonathan after he died. And he said, my love for you is greater than my love for women. And, and it's not hard to see that, that maybe how David treated women, you read through the whole thing, maybe David didn't care about women as much as he should have. And maybe it's true that he valued Jonathan far above any woman that he ever knew because of the way that women were treated. Here's what I know. David was a sinner who needed a savior. Saul was a sinner who needed a savior. Jonathan was a sinner that needed a savior. Goliath was a sinner that needed a savior. And Jesus Christ came to save sinners, among whom I am the chief. Well, our time is up. Our 20 minutes have passed. I want to thank you for joining us again for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released audio versions on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill. Video versions are available on our Facebook page. Our Sunday services are online on our website, faithonhill.com, and we gather throughout the week in small groups. My name's Adam. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to just push back on something, you can email me, adam, at faithonhill.com. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.